Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Look for the necessities, the simple necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. Jess? Oh, now she decides not to talk. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 82, The Jungle Book. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And this is the second anniversary episode because Verbal Diorama is two years old now, which is crazy. And to celebrate, I'm doing another three special episodes So last year I did Studio Ghibli episodes and this year I am focusing on classic Disney. The last episode was on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, That came out yesterday, if you're listening to this on release day. And this episode is going to be focusing on the Silver Age of Disney, uh, which started in 1950 with the release of Cinderella and finished in 1967 with this movie, The Jungle Book. And why The Jungle Book? Um, Well, I love it the most out of all of these Silver Age movies. Um, And it's also notably the last movie that Walt Disney worked on before his death. I find The Jungle Book fascinating, actually. Obviously, as you are listening to this episode, uh, I hope you're all keeping safe and well during these times. As part of these episodes, I'm actually doing something called Animation Season. And this is actually episode eight of Animation Season as a whole. And obviously, whether you are a returning listener or a brand new listener, uh, I am so happy that you have decided to join me, especially at the actual anniversary of this podcast, uh, because this is a really special occasion for me. Um, And it's always really special when I cover animation, because I am a big fan of animation. I'm very passionate about animation. And I really wanted to highlight great animation. So these episodes themselves, they're going to be a little bit different Uh, They're going to be structured the same, but they're not really going to have 
the same sort of level of promotion that I would normally do just because I'm doing three episodes concurrently in three days I'm aiming for them to be a bit smaller although whether they will be or not I mean who knows I like to talk um and this episode follows the other episodes that I've done this season so they are Coco, The Secret of Nim, Your Name, Chicken Run, Shrek, Ghost in the Shell and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and let's be completely honest this movie isn't as polished as Snow White but it has such a charm to it uh despite the admittedly cheaper production values and the borrowing of other animation you could kind of say it's a little bit of a case of ubi doo i want to be like you uh quite literally but i digress here's the trailer for the jungle book <laughs> It's been a long time in coming, but now, after four years, the announcement can be made. Walt Disney's most entertaining triumph in the art of animation is here. Dooby 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 dee doo. Well, it's a dooby doo. Yes, it's a dooby doo. Well, now, <laughs> what have we here? It's Walt Disney's The Jungle Book. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. Yes, The Jungle Book, a new departure in contemporary entertainment. Kid, we've got to get to a tree. This calls for some big scratching. You're lots of fun, Blue. A boisterous musical comedy version of Rudyard Kipling's familiar stories about the boy Mowgli and his encounters with human nature in the jungle. There's the devious Ka. Trust in me. Just in me. And the envious Louie, King of the Apes. Oh, ooby-doo. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. The Dawn Patrol. Oh, the aim of our patrol is a question rather droll. And the pompous Colonel Hottie. A dusty muscle. Soldier, that haircut is not regulation. Rather on the gaudy side, don't you think? There, that's better. Then there's the jungle's fair weather friends. We've never met an animal we didn't like. <laughs> and the treacherous Sher Khan. Boo. <laughs> Let's get out of Run, friend, run! Run, Mowgli, run! A man cub in the jungle. And all he has on his side are two real friends, the man-cub's jungle guardians. Oh, no! Baloo! Let go! Are you kidding? There's teeth in the other end. Baloo and Bagheera, two wonderful characters destined to become comedy immortals. Fire? So that's what that scoundrel's after. Yeah. Well, man, what a beat. Will you stop that silly beat business and listen? This will take brains, not brawn. You better believe it, and I'm loaded with both. Hey! There's a button on it. be the lot of that done wrong. And you may better do some of the day, do bomb the book of days, the bones of a bomb bobby. Will a rebanaza? Will a la bazini? Get mad, baby. Yoo hoo hoo! Do we pop? 
There's never been a more entertaining achievement in the art of animation. Can learn to be like someone like you. One more time! Yeah, can learn to be like someone like me. Abandoned baby Mowgli is taken and raised by a family of wolves. As the boy grows older, the wise panther Bagheera realises he must be returned to his own kind in the nearby man village. Baloo the bear, however, thinks differently, taking the young Mowgli under his wing and teaching him that living in the jungle is the best life there is. Bagheera realises that Mowgli is in danger, particularly from Shere Khan the tiger, who hates man and man's dangerous fire. Shere Khan has returned to the jungle and knows about Mowgli's existence. So we'll quickly run through the cast of this movie. We have Bruce Reitherman as Mowgli. Bruce is actually the son of the director, Wolfgang Reitherman. He was actually a last minute substitution because the previously cast actor, David Bailey, uh, his voice broke during production. And so they needed to find another kid who could do this role. The legendary Phil Harris as Baloo. Sebastian Cabot as Bagheera, he also narrates. Louis Prima as King Louis. George Sanders as Shere Khan, Sterling Holloway as Carr, and J. Pat O'Malley as Colonel Hathi. It was written by Larry Clemens, Ralph Wright, Ken Anderson, and Vance Jerry. It was based on The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling, and it was directed by Wolfgang Reitherman. So if we want to start with The Jungle Book, we need to start with The Jungle Book. Uh, so The Jungle Book, obviously, by Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling was born in India in 1865, and this was obviously when India was under British rule, collectively known as British India. British rule was only ended in India in 1947, when the British Indian Empire was partitioned into two independent dominions, which essentially is India and Pakistan. Kipling was educated in Britain and returned to India, uh, and he published his first collection of stories called The Jungle Book in 1894. Although they were based on his childhood in India and set in the Indian forest, he wrote The Jungle Book collection while he actually lived in Vermont in the USA. These stories were based around the young boy or man cub Mowgli, who is primarily raised by wolves, in an unknown part of India, although Sione is mentioned a few times. It's said that he wrote The Jungle Book stories for his young daughter Josephine, who died from pneumonia in 1899, aged just six years old. Inspiration for the stories in the Jungle Book came from ancient Indian fable texts like Panchatantra and the Kataka Tales. Kipling confessed in a side letter from 1895 that it was likely that he'd stolen stories for the Jungle Book, but he could not recall whose ideas he had borrowed. Characters in the Jungle Book would become synonymous with the Scout movement. Uh, Scout founder Robert Baden-Powell was a friend of Kipling's. And scout leaders are often given the name Arcala. And also there are examples of other Jungle Book names being used like Bagheera and Baloo. And the Jungle Book has been adapted in film and television many times. It's actually the second most adapted Disney text other than Cinderella. There was a live action adaptation in 1942 as well as further live action adaptations in 1994. 1997, 1998, there were five Soviet animated films between 1967 and 1971. There was a Japanese anime series in 1989, a live action TV series in 1998. 
a CGI TV series in 2010, uh, a Disney live-action adaptation of this movie in 2016, which I rather like, by the way, uh, a Netflix film, which came out in 2018, uh, as well as this film in, from 1967, and its animated sequel in 2003, uh, plus an unrelated animated film in 1995. So there have been plenty of interpretations of The Jungle Book over the years. And that's just films. That's not to mention... Uh, Rudyard Kipling's 1895 book, The Second Jungle Book, uh, a 1959 graphic novel called Harvey Kurtzman's Jungle Book, and The Third Jungle Book by Pamela Jekyll, which came out in 1992. So this is a series of stories that's well-trodden, uh, and it was the wide variety of animal characters that are depicted in The Jungle Book, which led Disney employee Bill Pete to suggest The Jungle Book to Walt Disney after The Sword in the Stone had been released as their next feature. But let's go back to the end of the golden age of Disney, because this run of success for Disney was essentially halted by the Second World War. Shortly after the release of Dumbo in 1941, the US entered World War II. And to support the war effort, Disney formed the Walt Disney Training Films Unit to provide instructional films for the military. Donald Duck was used to promote war bonds, the Captain America of the company, you might say. The military films generated enough revenue to cover costs, and when Bambi was ultimately released in 1942, it lost $200,000 at the box office. And while Snow White and Dumbo were phenomenal successes for Disney, Pinocchio and Fantasia had underperformed, and the Disney company was, at that point, in about $4 million worth of debt going into the wartime period. It was for this reason that Roy Disney started suggesting ways they could cut costs and suggested combining animation and live action as part of their films going forward. And also Disney started producing live action nature films called True Life Adventures, the first of which won an Academy Award for Best Short Subject. Post-war, Disney had one mission and that was to try and recoup the money that they had lost. Uh, and the movie tasked with this first was Cinderella in 1950. Disney was less hands-on than usual due to his being so involved at the time in the first Disney live-action feature, Treasure Island. Obviously, Disney moved into live-action as well. Uh, Cinderella cost $2.2 million, but it earned $8 million in its first year. But during the start of the Silver Age, Walt Disney started to devote less attention to the animation department entrusting the famed nine old men to manage the department in his absence and his absence was due to the fact that he had a new dream so i mentioned in the previous episode about he had a dream about making snow white that was his dream he wanted to make this movie but now going into the 50s he had a new dream and his dream was a theme park uh the theme park is obviously disneyland i'm not really going to go into disneyland in great detail but i will say that i have been there and it is magical the 50s and 60s were a huge period of boom for Disney, uh, with Disneyland opening in 1955. And obviously, despite a few problems with the park, it's good job there were no dinosaurs there, Disney started to branch out into things like live action films, as well as going into the TV market, which was something that Disney had never done before. Shows like the Mickey Mouse Club, famous for giving us, you know, talent like Ryan Gosling, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, that debuted in 1955. Animation was originally what Disney did, but animation was not Disney's only forte anymore. Although the success of Cinderella allowed them to continue making animated films. 
Lady and the Tramp was one of Disney's most financially successful movies since Snow White. And The Silver Age was basically a lot of the stories that Walt Disney really wanted to tell. Classics like Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan. Uh, the department started experimenting with xerography, which had been adapted by Mickey Mouse co-creator Ub Iwerks. I hope I said that right again. Uh, and this eliminated the time-consuming process of hand-inking cells. Drawings could be copied repeatedly, and this would save time, but most importantly, because remember, they were in serious debt, this would save money. The first film to use this was 1961's 101 Dalmatians, but it had actually been tested back in Sleeping Beauty. Xerography could only copy black lines initially, so colouring still had to be done by hand. It wasn't until the 1980s that coloured lines could also be copied in the same way, which is something that The Secret of Nim does. Obviously, I spoke about The Secret of Nim a few episodes ago. And while Walt Disney hadn't been very hands-on in the early 60s, the disappointing reaction to The Sword in the Stone meant that he actually decided, well, you know, I want to be a bit more involved in The Jungle Book. I mentioned Bill Peet a bit earlier on. He was tasked with creating an original treatment for The Jungle Book. His original treatment was very faithful to Rudyard Kipling's original stories. Uh, it was very dramatic, very dark, uh, focusing on the struggle between man and animals and, and with Mowgli ultimately seeking revenge on Shere Khan. But once Disney read this, he kind of felt that it wasn't right for a Disney feature. He felt that having a young boy use a gun wasn't a really good message to be sending out. And he wanted it to be a more family-friendly story with a tiny, weeny little bit of mild peril because everyone loves a bit of mild peril. Uh, Bill Pete actually refused to change what he'd done and he was fired, <laughs> basically. Larry Clemens was then hired and Disney wanted a complete rewrite. He wanted the characters to lead the story. He wanted a simple story, but Disney wanted the characters to drive that story uh, and to give Mowgli a reason to want to leave the jungle. So the human girl, who is later named Shanti in the sequel, she was created to give Mowgli a good reason to actually go and live in the man village. Walt Disney got super involved. He joined story meetings. He acted out the roles, just like I said that he did in Snow White. And he worked on the gags for the movie. And one of the things that differentiates The Jungle Book from anything else that Disney had done up to that point was The Jungle Book used familiar voices, namely comedian Phil Harris, who we'll also come to when we talk about Robin Hood next episode. He was obviously the lovable Papa Bear Baloo. Uh, Harris improvised most of his lines because he felt the scripted lines weren't good enough or natural enough. Louis Prima was suggested by Disneyland Records president Jimmy Johnson as great comedy foil to Harris's Baloo in King Louis. Prima was a noted jazz musician and a celebrity in his own right. Other prominent actors like George Sanders... He was famous for roles in All About Eve and Samson and Delilah. And like Louis Prima, uh, this would be Sanders' last significant role before his death. Even the Beatles were approached to play the Vultures. Uh, and the Vultures were obviously modelled on the Beatles. Uh, but John Lennon actually refused. He didn't want to take part in an animation. But the Jungle Book having these iconic voice actors involved gave the production a bit of more of a level of gravitas to anything else. Um, I mentioned specifically in Snow White that Walt Disney would not allow the actress who played Snow White to do anything else. It was actually in her contract. She was not allowed. So to have these notable voice actors in the roles, I mean, 
Okay, it's not Robin Williams level of celebrity we're talking about, but these were known voices. So this was a change to anything else they'd done previous to this. When animation commenced on the 2nd of May 1966, animators were in charge of whole sequences rather than just single characters. And that was basically due to the fact that the characters interacted with each other a lot more than previous movies had. Backgrounds were hand-painted, but the character animation was done by xerography, uh, which gives the animation a rough kind of outline as opposed to the smoother outlines of previous movies. The only background that wasn't hand-painted is the waterfall, which is actually live-action footage of Angel Falls. Um, and it is very beautiful. Director Wolfgang Reitherman, who'd started out as an animator on the Magic Mirror in Snow White, uh, he's worked consistently for Disney on all of the Golden and Silver Age productions as either an animator, an animation director, a sequence director. And in 1961, he directed 101 Dalmatians. And then he directed 1963's Sword in the Stone. So he actually had a run of movies because he went from 101 Dalmatians to Sword in the Stone, to The Jungle Book, to The Aristocats, to Robin Hood. So he was kind of their go-to director at the time. And for The Jungle Book, he notably reused animation sequences from his previous movies, from 101 Dalmatians and also from Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, which was a short he had directed, which also starred his young son Bruce as Christopher Robin. But I want to talk about reused animation a bit more next episode on Robin Hood, because Robin Hood is probably the worst culprit for reusing animation. The expense of previous productions did make way for a more frugal approach. Um, the use of xerography, the reusing of animation, the slightly more sharp animation style over the earlier, softer, more rounded, cleaner attempts. The problem was, after the war, it wasn't just Disney who was working in animation. They were not the only animation studio anymore. Others had joined the fray after the war. And with the competition from the likes of Hanna-Barbera, Chuck Jones, Tex Avery and Robert Clampett, came the fact that Disney had competitors for the first time in this arena. And they either had to evolve their animation production, essentially make more stuff and make it faster, so that they could remain competitive. That's show business, folks. You know, if you've got a competitor out there who's producing stuff... You have to produce more. You have to stay ahead of the game. Uh, I hate to use <laughs> I hate to use very business jargon, but it's true. Um, and Disney really felt the pressure of having this additional layer of competition. And obviously, while all of this was going on, and while the Jungle Book was still in production, uh, Walt Disney, who'd been a heavy smoker pretty much all of his life, he received a lung cancer diagnosis in November 1966. At the end of November, he was admitted to hospital and on the 15th of December 1966, he passed away uh, 10 months before the film's release. And I think there's quite a lot of nostalgia for this film that surrounds the fact that Walt Disney died during production. And I'm going to go into the release and the financials a bit later, but this was a big hit for Disney. This movie has consistently been a fan favourite for many, many years. And a lot of that, I think, does stem from the fact that this was the last movie that Walt Disney actually physically worked on. He did have some input into the Aristocats, but not to the extent of The Jungle Book. And that's why, for many people, the Silver Age of Disney finishes with The Jungle Book and the Bronze Age starts with The Aristocats. Because this movie kind of symbolised the end of 
the days when Disney could be heavily involved in these movies. He obviously chose not to be for a lot of the Silver Age of Disney. He was kind of fingers in many pies. But I feel like this movie feels a bit more special. It's worth noting as well that his grandniece, Abigail Disney, she actually commented in 2014 of The Jungle Book that she thought that The Jungle Book was misogynistic, that it promoted segregation and racism. And I definitely think that those themes are in this movie. And if you look at any, uh, especially the Silver Age of Disney, there are a lot of problematic elements in those movies. And if you watch this movie on Disney+, Plus. There is now a disclaimer at the start of this movie. I want to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. So even though these anniversary episodes are a little bit different to normal episodes, I still want to get an obligatory Keanu reference in. And this is basically where I try and link the movie that I'm talking about with Keanu Reeves. And it's always really difficult with Keanu and animation because let's be honest, he's not been in very much animation wise. And I've, I've kind of used the Toy Story 4 link to death, basically. But I will say that I am certain that Keanu would return to the man village for me. Um, <laughs> that's basically what I'm using. I want to quickly talk about the music because the Jungle Book, if it's known for anything, it's known for the music. Songwriter Terry Gilkison, uh, he actually worked with aforementioned Bill Pete on songs for the Jungle Book back in 1963. But when Pete was forced to leave the project, so did Gilkison. And, and with that, Disney didn't want any of his songs used in the film. So Disney went and hired the Sherman Brothers. Uh, and the Sherman Brothers are obviously incredibly famous songwriters. Most famously had worked on Mary Poppins and did the musical numbers for Mary Poppins. But they looked at what Gilkison had done and they loved The Bare Necessities. That had been written by Gilkison and they actually pleaded with Walt Disney, please, we need The Bare Necessities in this movie. Uh, and Walt Disney actually allowed them the use of The Bare Necessities, but that is the only song from this soundtrack that is not a Sherman Brothers song. And it's for that reason. Um, and it's a good job, really, because The Bare Necessities, it remains one of the most popular songs, not only from this soundtrack, but from kind of the whole of Disney canon. Everyone knows The Bare Necessities, or if you're me, The Bare Necessities, when you try and get your cat to join in. And The Bare Necessities was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. It didn't win, but it still stands up as one of the great Disney songs. And The Jungle Book is full of great songs, but The Bare Necessities really is kind of a standout. When The Jungle Book was released on the 18th of October 1967, like I say, it was fueled by this nostalgia surrounding Walt Disney's death. And because of that, people wanted to see this final film that Walt Disney had worked on. The Jungle Book had a $4 million production budget. It would go on to make $73 million in that initial release, as well as be re-released a further three times in 1984, 1990 and 2000. At one point, it was the highest grossing animated film of all time in the US and Canada, beating Snow White until that movie was re-released in 1983. As I mentioned last episode, Snow White was re-released eight times. And if you adjust for inflation, The Jungle Book has made over $670 million worldwide. Um, interestingly, it's also the highest grossing animated film of all time in Germany, uh, which I did not know, but now I do. 
I've mentioned the kind of variety and the different adaptations of The Jungle Book, but I want to talk about the live-action Disney remake, the 2016 John Favreau version of The Jungle Book, because I really do think that is a really good movie. And where the live-action adaptations are concerned, um, I even spoke about it in the last episode of Snow White, that the idea of a Snow White live-action adaptation is just doesn't interest me in the slightest. But... I really do feel like the 2016 version of The Jungle Book is a really, really good movie. It's not perfect. I mean, I think that the inclusion of I Want to Be Like You is misplaced in that movie. It's also worth noting that the live-action movie that came out in 1994 was also a Disney movie. Uh, and that one was directed by the one, the only, Stephen Summers. He would go on to write and direct the greatest movie ever made, which is The Mummy. Of course you know that, because if you listen to Verbal Diorama, you will know how much I love The Mummy. But enough about The Mummy, <laughs> because I really could talk about The Mummy forever. I want to close out my thoughts on The Jungle Book, because I really do feel like a lot of people will look at The Jungle Book and they will remember a really fun, really enjoyable, infectious movie from their childhood and that's kind of how I feel about The Jungle Book because it's not as visually polished as Snow White and it's not really very faithful to Rudyard Kipling's original stories but it is a crowd pleaser it's an entertaining movie and it was something that a lot of us kids who grew up in the 80s we watched religiously we watched The Jungle Book many times it was always on TV and it's one of those that you can just sit and put on and it's still delightful and this is the Disney that I think of when I think of Disney movies. It may not be like a classic fairy tale princess story, but it also does a really good job of kind of reminding us that simple things in life can sometimes be the most rewarding. And while Walt Disney didn't actually live to see it get released, I think he would be proud of the love that so many people have for this story and these characters. The Golden Age of Disney may be seen as the purest age of animation but the silver age created more variety more established stories just more of what made disney great and it is argued that the silver age movies are better uh, but like everything you know i feel like it's a personal preference but the variety and the beauty and the fun of the silver age of disney is something that really does deserve to be celebrated and for me the jungle book is the pinnacle of what they delivered during that time Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Jungle Book. I am not going to be going through the usual gubbins that I go through at the end of each episode. Uh, I just really want to say a massive thank you for listening. Uh, even if it's, this is your first episode, thank you very much for listening. But a massive thank you to the people who have really kind of stuck by this podcast throughout the last two years and really been incredibly supportive. And provided things like feedback, uh, because I usually do social media feedback. I'm obviously not doing social media feedback today. Um, but people get so involved with this podcast and it's it's brilliant. It genuinely brings me so much joy that people get involved with this podcast and get involved with the comments. It's, it's just fantastic. And if you are listening to this episode on release day, uh, so tomorrow, Robin Hood will be coming out. Yesterday, Snow White came out. But if you kind of listen to this in the future and you've binged all three, the next episode after Robin Hood is going to be very strongly related to Robin Hood because it's about more foxes. 
This was unintentional, by the way. But I really wanted to do this movie because it's a Wes Anderson movie. And Wes Anderson is someone that I have only recently kind of started to watch his stuff. But it's actually my favourite Wes Anderson movie. And that is his adaptation of Fantastic Mr Fox. That is actually going to be the final episode of animation season. And I really hope that you will join me for that. But as I said, I'm just so grateful that you've listened. I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, A massive thank you to everyone for your support. A massive thanks to the patrons of this podcast because their support is invaluable to me. Um, So I'll shout them out like I always do to Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor and Scott. A massive thank you to you all. And finally, I'm not sure I want to be King of the Swingers. Let me consult my pampas grass. And if you get that, (laughs) if you get that, Sorry, it's a bit of a personal joke between me and friends. But yeah, I don't want to be the king of the swingers. Thanks very much. Bye. Movie